Welcome to the Living Faith Fellowship Conference podcast. The Living Faith Fellowship is a peer network of like-minded churches united under a single biblical authority and one common mission. You're about to hear a message from one of the many conferences hosted by the Living Faith Fellowship every year. We pray it's a blessing. Thanks for that, Thomas. I, I'm, I, I appreciate the opportunity uh, to be here for you guys. So, so thanks to Thomas, thanks to James, thanks for the invite. Um, I'm, I'm certainly humbled by it, and I, and I know that guys always uh, always say that, but they say it because they mean it. It's, uh, it's the truth. And so humbled by the opportunity to be with you guys and to speak to you about such an important topic as discipleship. We certainly can't overemphasize what is the mission that God has given the church to do on this earth, to make disciples to go into the world and be a witness for him and then win and train followers of Jesus Christ. And this conference is so important. It's, it's you know, one of obviously the, the kind of the three primary conferences we have as a fellowship. And it's so important because this is something we need to constantly keep in the forefront of our minds. I think otherwise we run the risk of just getting into a groove and, and before we know it, we're just playing church. And we're just holding services. And we're just doing stuff for the sake of doing stuff. And God forbid that any of us fall into that trap. We need to be about what God is about. And, and, and this is one of the many things that we obviously learn from the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus. We see that in Jesus throughout his life. Obviously, he was the son of God and he knew what he was, he was here for. But even as a child... In Luke chapter 2, when Jesus was 12 years old, his family had come to Jerusalem for the Passover feast, and he, he slipped away to the temple as his family was heading back to Nazareth. And they come back to look for him, and they find him in the temple. And I want you to see Mary's reaction in Luke chapter 2, and verse 48. It says, And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. They've been looking for him. We see how focused Jesus' response was in verse 49. He said unto them, How is it that she sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? Man, that's, I mean, that's kind of cold-blooded. I don't know. I mean, like a 12-year-old talking to his mom, but that's Jesus. So I, what do you say? But he wasn't going to get distracted even as a child. It was, he was still true to that end, to the very end of his life. Jay referenced Luke twenty-two forty-two. if you happen to be with us this morning, but at the very end of his life, as he's praying that night before the crucifixion, he says, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. See, Jesus' entire life was about his father's business and his father's will. And brothers and sisters, can the same be said of us? Because we too need to be about our Father's business. We need to desire our Father's will. But as the life of Jesus shows, following that path means that you're taking the hard road. You're not taking the easy way out. And you have to be able to deal with stuff that you come in contact with and, the, and, and that life brings upon you every day. And we have to deal with things both internally and externally. We all have to deal with our own issues, right? We, we know us. 
and we know what we have going on inside, and we have to deal with our own issues, but it, it turns out in the Christian life we have to deal with other people's issues as well. Because again, as, as most of us know in here, the mission is making disciples. And I don't, I don't know if you know this or not, but disciples have issues. And if you're, if you're a parent, you know what this looks like. Right? It's not always pretty. I, I have three kids, and, and, and listen, it got ugly at times. And, and, and I don't do well with things like vomit and other stuff. I don't handle that very well. Praise the Lord, my wife does and did. Uh, we're long past that, but, but there, there were times. You know this. Babies go to the bathroom all over themselves. They spit up food everywhere. They don't know how to clean themselves up. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but listen, that's not very different with spiritual babies. New believers, new disciples of Jesus, they get messy at times. So in that sense, a discipler needs to be able to play a lot of different roles in the life of, of their disciple. You need to be that parent to help clean them up at times. You need to be a coach and a mentor like we heard with Thomas and Seth. You need to be able to then encourage. Sometimes you need to rebuke. And with respect to spiritual guidance, you need to be a counselor. And honestly, that's one of the most important roles of a disciple maker. And that is our focus and our theme for this week. As we lay out and we go through these next tonight and the next three nights, we're, we're, we're going to be focusing on this theme as the disciple, discipler, the disciple maker, as counselor. And listen, if you are a discipler, that may sound a bit daunting, the, to be able to take on that level of investment, that role in the life of an individual. But I, I want to tell you tonight, that's part of the gig. In fact, Paul said that was his expectation for all the Christians in Rome. In Romans 15, 14, he says, And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye, all y'all, also are full of goodness. Yeah, I got my southern thing going. Like, I know I live in Ohio, but I, I know a few things here and there. He says that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to admonish or warn or caution one another. Right? Paul was certainly able to do that, but he said you all ought to be able to do that. You need to be able to help people see Jesus in their situation. You need to provide counsel based on what the Bible has to say, based on that knowledge that you know and that you gain from God's word. You know, Paul told the Galatians in Galatians 6.2 that we're to bear one another's burdens. Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill, so fulfill the law of Christ. And there's just a common theme throughout the Bible, certainly throughout the New Testament, of helping others, especially when it comes to the elders in the faith, helping and counseling the younger. Titus chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 5 are great examples of that. So let me just say this, and I, and I put this on your outline sheet. Biblical counseling is assumed in the ministry of discipleship. Biblical counseling is assumed in the ministry of discipleship. And, and, and what we're going to be studying this week is that aspect and, and what that looks like. And how does counseling play out in the life of a disciple maker uh, with their disciple? And as you study the word counsel in the Bible, you'll find that its first mention is in Exodus chapter 18 and verse 19. And it's in the midst of a very interesting story 
where Moses' father-in-law, a guy named Jethro, he's giving Moses some advice while Moses was leading and directing the Israelites in the wilderness. And Jethro comes to visit Moses. He has, he has Moses' wife and two kids with him. They had been staying with Jethro, Jethro presumably you know, while Moses went back to Egypt to rescue Israel out of bondage. We can't know that for sure, but it's a decent supposition. What we know is that Jethro brings Moses' family back to him. And while he's there, he sees Moses judging and counseling the people of Israel. And he sees Moses doing it all by himself. And this is where the advice comes in. He tells Moses, bro, you got to get some help on this thing. You're going to kill yourself, and it's bad for the people. It's too long of a process. It's bad all around. And in this passage, it's interesting, but, but it's an interesting passage, but I think we find a great biblical pattern and a model for the disciple-maker as counselor. And, and we're going to focus every night. We're going to base each message out of this section of Scripture here in Exodus 18. And so over the next four nights, we're going to see the wisdom, the way, the worker, and the work, all related to, to this topic of disciple as counselor. So, so tonight... We're going to be looking at the wisdom, and tonight is really just a foundation. The, the meat of really what we're looking at in this conference is going to be the next couple of nights. So that's my plug for you to come back. Tonight, we're just laying a foundation. There, you know, a foundation is just a foundation. But if you want to see it all built, you've got you to keep coming. And, and, and my goal on this, we're not, we're not going to get super deep. Um, we're going to do some, you know, what is to me interesting Bible study, but, but I want to be very practical. And I, and I want to give you some real handles, some very tangible handles on what this can look like in your life and what this can look like as a church. Now, before we dive into everything we're going to look at, some of you may be aware, probably most of you aren't, but some of you may be aware that Jethro's advice in, in, this, in this section of Scripture, in Exodus 18, is somewhat you know, controversial in some circles. Uh, there are some that believe that Jethro's advice to Moses wasn't good. In fact, that it was not of the Lord, that if, if God wanted Moses to have this advice, that God would have given it to Moses directly and not through Jethro, and that Jethro was just looking out for his daughter and his grandkids, and the advice was, was a, a selfish way of looking things for Moses. And there's some things like that. There's some people that believe this isn't good advice. And I just point that out um, in case you've heard that before, you've been taught that you know, somewhere along the line. Now, now I, I think what you're going to find very quickly is I disagree <laughs> with that assessment. Um, I, think, I think I can make a pretty strong argument and plan to make a pretty strong argument uh, that Moses didn't do anything that contradicts the Bible. And I believe by doing some simple English Bible exegesis tonight, we'll prove that. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to study the Bible. And in the process, we're going to look at the wisdom of the disciple maker as counselor. And since we've already given you that backdrop, and, and set some of that context. Let's, let's pick up the story in Exodus chapter 18 and verse 13. We're going to read down through verse 19, and then we'll, we'll go to the Lord in prayer uh, together. But Exodus chapter 18, starting in verse 13, the Bible says, And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood by Moses from the morning into the evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the people, he said, What is this thing that thou doest to the people? Why sittest thou thyself alone? And all the people stand by thee from morning unto even. And Moses said unto his father-in-law, Because the people come unto me to inquire of God. When they have a matter, they come unto me, and I judge between one and another, and I do make them know the statutes of God and his laws. And Moses' father-in-law said unto him, The thing that thou doest is not good. 
thou wilt surely wear away, both thou and this people that is with thee, for this thing is too heavy for thee. Thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. Hearken now unto my voice, I will give thee counsel, and God shall be with thee. Be thou for the people to Godward, that thou mayest bring the causes unto God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you tonight, and, and we just admit that, that we need to hear from you. Uh, Lord, I don't have anything good to say in me. It, uh, we need your spirit to speak clearly in, into our life and into our heart. And so, Lord, I just pray that you do that. I pray you move me out of the way. I certainly pray that everything that is said is true to your word and that it's honoring and glorifying to you. And I pray that you use it in our life uh, in the way that you would see fit. We love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so here we go. Moses is out. He's doing his job. He's trying. He's doing his best, right? He's trying to help. He's trying to lead the people of Israel as they're navigating life in the wilderness. And I want you to just think about this for a second. Just think about how interesting and how crazy that had to be, right? Most estimates will put the population of of the Israelites around 2 million people at this time. They don't have permanent homes. Like, if you were here this morning, Jay talked about, you know, they're, they're always without water. And they were without food. Things like that happened. And, and I'm sure tensions tended to rise. And things would get a little dicey at times. And I, I think it's interesting because it's great pictures that, that we use. And, and, and in that, we kind of criticize the Israelites for their complaining and murmuring in the wilderness. And I get ticked and irritable when my power goes out for two hours. I'll preach a sermon on how, you know, crazy the Israelites are. And then I go home and my power's out. And I'm like, what in the world happening? Now, to be fair, I live in the country. So if my power goes out, I don't have any, I have a well, so I don't have any water either. So it is crazy. But, and I, I can't even imagine living in the traffic that you guys live in. I mean, the Lord have mercy. That is ridiculous. <laughs> so what I'm saying is I'm not sure that we would have been any better. Had the, uh, at least I wouldn't have been any better. I'll leave you out of it. I, if I had been in the wilderness, I wouldn't have been any better. And Moses is dealing with all this, and he's trying to judge the people and their situations that come up and their, their conflicts. He's trying to give them guidance from the Lord. And Jethro just watches it all go down one day. And he says, Moses, what you're doing isn't good. And he goes on to advise him to pick out some able men that can help him judge and counsel the people. Pick it up down in verse 21. Jethro says, moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds and rulers of fifties and rulers of tens. Let them judge the people at all seasons, and it shall be that every great matter they shall bring unto thee, but every small matter they shall judge. So shall it be easier for thyself, and they shall bear the burden with thee. And we'll get to those verses before the week is out. Those are actually the next couple nights, but I I think you can probably see the pictures here. Obviously, this is Old Testament. This was a a different dispensation, Exodus 18, even officially before the law, certainly not the church age, and there are limitations to all pictures and and typology in the Bible, but Moses for us, he is a picture of a pastor or a leader, a shepherd, and the able men that you see there in verse 21, picture for us disciplers, disciple makers that come alongside and help fulfill the mission. And the role we see them playing here in Exodus 18 specifically as counselor. I'll really prove that Wednesday night, later in the week. But, but they're, 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 they're playing the role of counselor. 
And as I told you in the introduction, I believe there's great wisdom in that model and one that we can apply in our churches. And that wisdom begins very simply, this is our first point, with the design of the Lord. I believe this, this advice from Jethro has biblical grounding because this is something that the Lord set up even from the beginning of man. And I say that because of the very words of Scripture. Listen, every word of God is pure, right? And it's therefore important to pay attention to every word. This is simple English Bible exegesis. And what are the words that Moses recorded Jethro using? Well, it starts in verse 14, where he calls Moses alone. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the people, he said, What is this thing that thou doest to the people? Why sittest thou alone? And all the people stand by thee from morning unto even. And obviously, there were people all around. But when it came to the mission of helping people in their walk with God and their relationship with others, Moses was doing it alone. And then what else did Jethro say? In verse 17, he said, Moses, what you're doing, it's not good. And Moses' father-in-law said unto him, The thing that thou doest is not good. Thou wilt surely wear away both thou and this people that is with thee, for this thing is too heavy for thee. Thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. We see him say, call him alone again. And if you're familiar at all, and I'm sure most of you are, but if you're familiar with the cre creation, the recreation story, these words and these phrases might sound familiar to you. In the context of, of the, the making of man, listen to what God said in Genesis 2.18 and compare it with what we just read. Genesis 2.18, and the Lord God said, it is what? Not good that the man should be what? Alone. And will make it help meet for him. And this is such a, an amazing verse in the context of Scripture. Because what we see in this creation account of Genesis chapter 1 is God speaking and then things coming into being and then God assessing. So it's a series of let there be and let the waters and let the earth and let us make. And whatever he said happened. And then he looked at it and said, it's good. It's good. It's all very good. With the small exception of, of the second day when he, or, or the, I'm sorry, the, yeah, the second day when he made the, the firmament or the second heaven. But it, but it wasn't until Genesis 2.18 that we see something that God specifically states is not good. And it was not good that Adam was alone. And, wh and why? Why was it? Why wasn't it good that Adam was alone? Well, there are a few reasons, but, few reasons, but primarily it was because there was a mission that God had for Adam to accomplish. And, and Adam sure couldn't accomplish that mission alone. He needed Eve. She was just as necessary as him. And the mission for Adam and Eve was to, to go and, and make babies and replenish and subdue the earth. We, we looked at Genesis 1.28 this morning. And God blessed them and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And obviously, Adam couldn't do that alone. He needed a helper that was, that was meat for him, that fit him and provided the means to accomplishing the mission. And what was true of Adam and Eve is still true today, right? Because it's a pattern. Most of you know the connection. It's a, it's a pattern because we have the exact same mission and purpose today. It's just on the spiritual side. Adam's was physical and spiritual. Ours is spiritual. 
And we know that from the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Jesus came and spake unto the same, all powers given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. You see, as Christians, our mission is to populate this earth with spiritual sons of God. We are to have spiritual children, spiritual reproduction, to so evangelize and make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our purpose, period. We're tasked with that, and we can't do that alone either. So first of all, we, we must do it in conjunction with our bridegroom in the picture of the marriage. We're to do it in conjunction with our bridegroom, Jesus Christ. We don't have the ability to save anyone. We can only bring them to him. But secondly, the way God set this up is that this is what the church is to be about. And listen, the pastor, your pastors can't be the only one or the only ones doing that. The mission's for everyone. It's for all of us. You see, Christianity, it isn't a spectator sport. We're to all be involved. And we're to all be involved together in the mission of making disciples and then helping those disciples on their walk with the Lord. That is what the church is. It is a body working together according to God's word to give God glory. It is not just a group of religious people gathered together to enjoy a worship service. Now, unfortunately, that's what most churches look like. And that's how most churches live out their life, but that's not what God intended at all. It's a group of people who share the same life, who belong to the same Lord, who are filled with the same Spirit, who are given spiritual gifts by that same Spirit, and who are intended to function together to change the world by the power of Christ. That's the work of the church. That's the work of this church. That is what you signed up for when you placed your faith in Jesus Christ and linked arms with this body. So are you selling this body short? Or are you involved in the mission? And I'm well aware that, that many people think, whoa, hold up a second. I'm good with being saved. I'm good with singing on Sundays. I don't know about discipling anybody. I don't know about counsel. Uh, I don't know about, let alone counsel. Are you kidding me? I don't know what I have to offer. You talk about spiritual gifts. I don't think I have any. I don't, I don't know what that is. And, and then there's others that think, you know, you, you need to just, you need to just chill out a little bit. This, this is a personal thing. Like you're making this too, this is kind of a big deal. You're like making this a little bit too much. And I don't want to get too involved with others. I want my own relationship with God. But I want it the way I want it. And I want to live out my Christian life the way I want to live out my Christian life. Can I politely say to you, according to the Apostle Paul and according to God's word, that's not an option. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 through 20. For the body is not one member, but many. The foot shall say, because I'm not of the hand, am I not of the body? Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I'm not of the eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now if God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him, 
If they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members yet but one body? You see, everybody has a role. And we're all in this together, so listen to me. If you aren't active in the mission, then we all suffer. And if you are a member of Oakland Heights Baptist Church, then listen to what I say, what I'm about to say. You have something to offer that James doesn't. We need everyone to participate in the mission. That's why Paul emphasizes our oneness. And so your church, it's an assembly of redeemed people who owe their distinct existence, their life to the get together, to the fact that they were by one spirit put into one body and dwelt by that same spirit. We are not separated believers, my friends. We are one so not only is the church not a spectator sport, the church also in golf. See, golf's an interesting sport, and I love it. But by the nature of the sport, golfers are independent. Now, I know this live golf thing is trying to bring in this team concept, but that's not golf. A regular golf tournament is a struggle of individuals pit, pitted against each other. And the golfers all rely on their own ability to try to beat out the other man. That's not the church. It's a team sport. But I'm afraid many congregations and many Christians are more like golfers. It's everybody kind of doing their own thing their own way. Paying no attention, not valuing what others are doing, and not seeing the concept of the body. That can't be us in the Living Faith Fellowship. Because it's not how it's supposed to be according to the Bible. Each church is a body. We're to function as a body on a mission. Listen, he didn't just put us here to sit. What happens with your physical body if you just take and consume? It gets unhealthy. I'll just, I'll, I say it this way. It gets unhealthy. If you don't ever get active and exercise what you're cons out what you're consuming, it leads to unhealthiness. And that's what we see in American churches today. Unhealthy churches. No, he didn't just make us a body to sit. He made us a body to go. He made us a body to do something. He put us on a mission. And we're to go and we're to teach and we're to make disciples and we're to counsel those disciples as you walk with them through the ups and downs of life. And this was God's design from the beginning. Partnership in the mission. So Jethro's advice has some biblical grounding. Now, if you still have some doubts, you might be interested to know that God gave Moses basically the exact same advice in Numbers chapter 11 at a different time in the wilderness wanderings. This was a time of particular frustration for Moses to the point that he just asked God to kill him. And maybe that was a bit dramatic. But listen, dealing with God's people is relentless, and it got to him. I mean, I love y'all, but I mean, the people I deal with are here, most of them, so you know. But look at God's response in Numbers 11, verses 16 and 17. And the Lord said unto Moses, Gather unto me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom thou knowest to be the elders of the people, and officers over them, and bring them unto the tabernacle of the congregation, that they may stand there with thee. And I will come down and talk with thee there, and I will take the spirit which is upon thee, and I will put them upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with thee, that thou bear it not thyself alone. 
You see, God didn't want Moses to have to bear it alone, but unfortunately, that's what seems to end up happening over the course of time. It did for Moses, and it does for many pastors and in many churches. This is not a new problem. The need for laborers to do the hard work of raising spiritual children and all that it entails has existed for a long time. Listen, we, we're, we know these verses, but Jesus, listen to what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 9, verses 36 and 37. And when he, that's Jesus, saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous and labors are few. And we use that verse many times in the context of mission and going to the lost world and evangelize, and, and, and that absolutely is applicable. But it applies to the saved, too, because there's work and labor to do with believers, with new spiritual babies. So let me just ask you, are you a laborer? Are you able to help someone work through their issues according to what the Bible has to say? If the answer is no, I want you to keep coming because we're going to tell you how to get prepared in the coming nights. I told you, this is just the foundation. What we're laying tonight, this is, I just got to get, this, this is the boring stuff. We got to get through this. We're going to get the good stuff the next couple nights. But you need to know that this is part of the Lord's design for man. In his wisdom, he wants every Christian involved in the mission at this level. But the wisdom of the disciple or his counselor isn't only based on the, on the design of the Lord. Second, it's because the Lord knows the difficulty of the load. All right? The difficulty of the load. You see, the truth is, the work of the ministry is hard. And while it is the call for every believer, it's not for the faint of heart. Now, that's not an excuse to not participate. But you do need to be prepared. And you do need to count the cost. In the story of Exodus 18, Jethro notes right away the difficulty of the load associated with carrying other people's burdens. Look at verse 18 again. Thou wilt surely wear away both thou and this people that is with thee, for this thing is too heavy for thee. Thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. And, and, and you see that the burden was heavy. And, and just so you don't think Jethro was assuming this on Moses. When Moses was retelling the story in Deuteronomy chapter 1, we'll, we'll get there later in the week, but Jethro, or, um, uh, Moses retells this story when, when they were you know, getting prepared to enter the land of Deuteronomy. But in Deuteronomy chapter 1, look at verse 9. Moses speaking said, I spake unto you at that time, saying, I am not able to bear you myself alone. And then he tells them and, and us why in verses 10 through 12. The Lord your God hath multiplied you, and behold, you are this day as the stars of heaven for multitude. The Lord God of your fathers make you a thousand times so many more as ye are, and bless you as he hath promised you. How can I myself alone bear your cumbrance and your burden and your strife? And, and Moses used this same language. Again, we're just using the words of the Bible, and so we're seeing burden, and we're seeing the words heavy, and, and, and what that means both in Numbers chapter 11 and in Exodus 18 and in Deuteronomy chapter 1. And we're, it's all the same language. And, and earlier I summarized 
Moses' feelings in Numbers chapter 11, but I didn't read the verse where Moses was talking. And I want to show you that in Numbers chapter 11 and verse 11, Moses said unto the Lord, Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant? And wherefore have I not found favor in thy sight that thou layest the burden of all this people upon me? Down in verse 14, Moses said, I'm not able to bear all this people alone. This is too heavy for me. It's part of why, according to Galatians 6.2, we're to bear each other's burdens. And so there's burdens that come with the ministry that are heavy, and there's times that we feel alone. And as we've already looked at, God's solution was to bring Moses others to help. Because the truth is, the work of the Lord gets heavy. And in those times, we all need partners. We see a great example of this very thing in in chapter 17 of Exodus with Moses and Aaron and Hur. And in the story, Israel's fighting against Amalek and the Amalekites, and and I don't have time to go into that. That's another sermon anyway, but Amalek's, he's a picture of the flesh, the Bible, then the fight with uh, the worldly system ran by the devil. And, And I want you to see what it says, Exodus 17, verses 8 through 13. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel and Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God on my hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said unto him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand and Israel prevailed. And when he went down, when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. And they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat there on, and Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side, the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down to the sun, and Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. This is just a beautiful picture, and, and I don't, we're already running out of time, so I'm going to have to skip it. But, but there's a beautiful picture here of, of, of the partnership in ministry. And, and, and this is going to foreshadow some of what we're going to talk about later. But tonight, I, I just want you to pay attention to verse 12. And you see what the Bible says there. It's the same word that, that Moses used in Exodus 18 and Numbers 11 and, and all of it. It was, it was heavy. And to get the job done, Moses needed helpers. So he had to have Aaron and her hold up his hands. And the truth is, in, in, in our work, even for us as pastors... That work gets heavy. So in God's design, he didn't put us in the battle by ourselves. Unless you're putting us by ourselves. Everyone has a role. Moses needed the help of Aaron and her, and he got it. Does your pastor get it? Do your leaders get it? And listen, I'm ahead of you. I know you're thinking, well, yeah, in the Old Testament, they didn't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and and, and all that, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's fine, except it says the same stuff in the New Testament. Because the fact still remains that the burden of leading a group of people like a church is hard. And, And listen, I'm not asking you to feel sorry for your pastor or me or any pastor in this room. I'm just asking you to come alongside and help. That's what I'm asking. We'll do it without you if we have to. But why don't you answer the call too? At the end of Paul's life, as he hearkened back to a time you know, where he was alone and everyone had left him in the Lord. And it's, in, it's at the very end of his, his last epistle, 2 Timothy chapter 4. And, and he said he was alone like Moses, right? And my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not lay to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known 
that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. So it's absolutely true. Of course it's true. The Lord is enough, even if you have to go about it alone. Matthew 11 says that Jesus' yoke is easy and his, what, his burden is light. And when we yoke with him and we do the work of the ministry with him, he, he bears that burden. But listen, when it comes to that ministry that he set us up to do, when it comes to discipleship, that's just not the design for us to do it alone. Even there in 2 Timothy, right, he, Paul's talking about a time that he was alone, and even in that time, the Lord strengthened him. And yet in that same time where Paul's in prison at the end of his life, multiple times he asked Timothy to come see him because he was alone. 2 Timothy 1.4, he says, Greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. 2 Timothy 4.9, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. And then in verse 21, do thy diligence to come before winter. Because the work, the loneliness associated with the ministry can be heavy. And your pastor feels that, I promise you. Paul thanked the Lord continually for those that were willing to carry the burden with him. So in Romans 16, he basically divided an entire chapter to that very thing. 1 Corinthians 16 is similar. Listen to what he says in, in verses 17 and 18. I'm glad of the coming of Stephanus and, and Fortunatus and Achaeus. For that which was lacking on your part, they have supplied, for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore acknowledge ye them that are such. And the word refresh, it means to take ease, to lighten the load. That's what it means. It's translated other places as rest and ease, because that work is a burden and it's heavy. Remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 when Paul was going through all of the afflictions that he dealt with up to that point in his life, which there were many more to come. But in, in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 23, he said, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, and stripes above measure, and prisons more frequent, and deaths oft of the Jews. Five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I've been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robber, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among the false brethren, perils and perils and perils, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. That is the stuff he dealt with all the time. And listen to what he says in verse 28. Besides those things that are without, you see, that was all external stuff. That which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Man, can you feel that? Paul said, I faced a lot of things. In my ministry, I faced a lot of things. But every day, I feel the weight of caring for those disciples, for those churches. And it wasn't easy, and it's not easy. But God knows, and God knows what he's doing. So he set it up. For us together to carry the burden. That's why it's so important for you to be involved. You see, there's wisdom. God actually knows what he's doing. Shocking, I know. There's wisdom in us all working together to make disciples. And so, so, so let's listen to that wisdom. It's based on the design of the Lord, the difficulty of the low. But then lastly, it's also based on the duty of the leader. 
and this point, this last point we have, it's associated with, with what God has established the leader to do. And in Exodus 18, we see it, we see it in verse 19. Hearken now unto my voice. I will give thee counsel, and God shall be with thee. Be thou for the people to Godward, that thou mayest bring the causes unto God. Okay, so we're going to see what this means. But Jethro is giving his counsel. He said, if you will hearken to this advice, God will be with you. And that's an interesting statement. Listen, as I've stated all along, you know, I believe this advice was godly counsel. But whether it was or it wasn't, it doesn't matter. Here is what I absolutely know. Properly responding to true biblical counsel always results in God being with you. If you'll just respond to biblical counsel, to biblical wisdom, and, and the counsel that you're getting tonight is to be involved in the mission with your pastors and with your leaders. And if you'll respond to that, then God will always be with you. And the contrary is true as well, because non-biblical counsel means that God isn't with you. You, can't, you cannot get your counsel straight from, you know, Dr. Phil's mouth, because he's not even on TV anymore. <laughs> and you shouldn't listen to your buddies tell you what Andy Stanley would do in the same situation. I'm, I, I'm, this is, he's in Atlanta. I, I, I shouldn't say that. I'm sorry. Sorry about that, James. Uh, whatever. Somebody else. I'm sure he's fine. Um, Listen, the, the point is, some of you are receiving instruction that has nothing to do with Bible principles. And it's a dangerous place to be in. And you can see where it leads in Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the, in the seat of the scornful. And you see this progression. And, and so David is outlining the danger here. Because he's saying, blessed is the man that doesn't do this. Because if you do, if you start walking, pretty soon they're going to sound good to you. And what they're saying was what you wanted to hear all of a sudden. And so you stopped and you started standing so you could pay close attention. And pretty soon you've been so long listening to them that you go get comfortable and you sit with them. And once you start sitting, they have you. You don't have them. But look at what the man who is blessed does. Verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And his law doth he meditate day and night. And that's where we need to get our counsel from God's word. And that's what these next nights are all about. The thing that Moses was to be about was leading God's people according to God's word. That's what he said in verse 16. You can go back and look at it. That's what biblical counseling was occurring. And biblical counseling is always comprehensive counseling. Dealing with everything in the secular arena as well as the sacred realm. It's the only advice that God honors. We're going to be talking about counseling again more and more through this week. But again, Moses couldn't do it all on his own. In fact, to, in order to make sure that he was leading everyone correctly according to God's instruction, he had the duty to spend time with God so that he knew he was getting God's words. That's what verse 19 says. You need to, you need to spend time with God and be Godward towards the people. And as part of that time with God, he was to be prayerful. He was to be in prayer for the people. Look at those words again in verse 18. Be thou for the people to God. So go spend time with him, that you know what he's saying, that thou mayest bring the causes unto God, so that you're praying for them. So the duty of the leader was to make sure he spent time with God, received God's word, and then spent time in prayer for the people. And since that was his primary duty, the counseling 
at least some of it, had to move to the helpers and to the disciples. And listen, that is not just Old Testament dispensation. That crosses dispensations. This was absolutely the model of the Jerusalem church outlined in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. In those days when the number of the disciples was multitude, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. And the twelve called the multitude of, of the disciples unto them and said, It's not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over the business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. It's exact same. And this was with the first set of deacons to help those pastors. In that case, it was the apostles of that Jerusalem church. But that model carries on. We know Paul talks about those same officers. We have pastors and deacons. But listen, as we've been talking about all night, that's why the work has to extend beyond that. Because your leaders have a role to play. And they have to spend time with God. So are you helping them in that role? If all they're doing is spending time with you, then they're not going to be able, they're not going to have the time to go to God on your behalf and spend time in the Word and, 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 and spend time with the Lord to know what they need to tell you. There's a role for everyone. So if you found your spot, are you helping others, including your pastors, bear the burdens? Listen, even Jesus couldn't do this work on his own. There was was one work where no one could help him. That was obviously the death on the cross as a sacrifice for your sins and mine. But when it comes to making disciples and raising spiritual sons of God to the point of maturity, for that to carry on to today, it needed help. He did it with the 12, but it has to go from there. And, and listen, this is amazing, that God has chosen us to be a part. And he needs our help. Uh, it reminds me of the Palm Sunday story where he tells his disciples, so Jesus is coming in on that last you know, triumphant, triumphal entry, and the palm leaves are laying down, and as he's going, he said, I got to go right in on a colt, and there's all the pictures, and we don't have time to talk about all that either. But he, he sends two of his disciples to go find a young colt for him to ride into Jerusalem on. And he gives them some very specific instruction. As part of those instructions, look at what he said in Mark eleven three: If any man say unto you, why do ye this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him. And straightway he will send him hither. He said, as you're grabbing the colt, if anyone asks you about it, say the Lord hath need. And I want you to think about that phrase for a second. I want you to juxtapose in your mind the first two words of that phrase against the last two words of that phrase. The Lord hath need. The Lord hath need. I think those are maybe some of the most amazing words in the Bible. I mean, he's God. He doesn't need us. Of course not. But he has chosen to place himself in a position of need because he wants to use us. And it wasn't only for that cult. Now there's a world to go in. There's disciples to make. 
He's given us a commission and a job to do to lift him high and to be a witness and to make disciples. And of course, he could have chosen any route to do that. But he chose to use us. He wants to use you. The Lord hath need of you. The Lord hath need of me. Now how crazy is it? And, and even crazier, how crazy is it that the Lord hath placed him in a position of need and he's asking us to be involved to help him on the only thing that matters and we have the audacity to say no. No, I don't have time for that. Lord, <laughs> creator, your creation has more important things to do. Shame on us. And some of us think, what can I do? What can I do? I'd like to be involved. I just don't know what to do. I don't know anything. I've not been saved long. I wouldn't even know what to say. Well, listen, there's a process called discipleship. I don't know if you've heard of it. But if you've never been discipled, you should probably sign up tonight. Because with the training and the Holy Spirit of God inside you, there's no limit to what you can do, but you will never know if you don't take the necessary steps. Why don't you choose tonight to see the wisdom in God's word and in God's plan and get involved in God's mission of making disciples. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for just for choosing to use us. I don't, I don't have any clue, Lord, why you want to use me. and I'm just thankful that you give me the opportunity. And Lord, I fail you so much. Forgive me for that. And, and Lord, you're still faithful. And so, so thank you. Lord, we love you. I, I, I'm excited for what you have ahead for, uh, for us this week and in the mornings and, and the time that we have together. Lord, use it in our life and change us. Don't, don't allow us to leave out of here the same as we, as we came into this conference. Lord, thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're interested in learning more about the Living Faith Fellowship, visit lffellowship.com. God bless.